Hello and welcome to the Get Stuck In podcast. We're back again this week. We're back with another fan from London um, in a Spurs fan, and that's Harrison. Um, I mean, there might be a new biggest club in London, to be honest, at this rate, but, <laughs> but um, uh, that's the only place to start, really, to be honest. Um, a 2-1 loss to West Ham, who were flying almost two-thirds of the way into the season. Yeah, well, obviously, yeah. First of all, thanks for having me on, boys. Good, uh, <laughs> good to hear, but whether I want to talk about Spurs West Ham, I'm not not too sure. Um, yeah, just sort of just typical Spurs on the weekend, wasn't it, boys? Kind of just, uh, I mean, I was fairly uh, optimistic going into it. Um, I thought maybe Gareth Bale might have got a start, seeing as he played uh, played quite well. Uh, in the Europa League game, but whereas after that, kind of just uh, <laughs> just went downhill after he didn't start. Just Jesse Lingard uh, on a bit of form at the moment, isn't he? Uh, that run is unbelievable. Like I know, obviously, he's shown it in the past, but to be honest, I'm just glad because I feel like that little band celebration is kind of uh, overtaken uh, dancing it, on the Emirates. So, I, <laughs> that's, I, that's I, don't know, I don't know what I was more fuming about, the fact that Davinson Sanchez need it in his path to put him through on goal <laughs> or they're in the corner, Jesse Lingard on the flute or whatever he was doing and then Declan Rice on the drums. I was I was fuming. Um, yeah, no, just... Uh, same thing over and over with Spurs at the moment, just same old mistakes and stuff. I, I mean, I can't remember the last time that I watched the game and didn't see uh, one of our own players sort of do something that couldn't have been uh, couldn't have been avoided. Um, definite reshape needed with that defence. Uh, didn't didn't obviously uh, improve it in the window, and uh, <laughs> it, we're getting punished for it. So, so do do you, do you think? Things would turn around if you had a big rehaul of the back. Yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult at the moment because obviously, I'm I'm seeing mistakes from from players that in the past I've obviously had a lot of faith. Um, you look at someone like Hugo Lloris uh, in in the past, one of our sort of most reliable players. He's captain, you know. He's won won the World Cup. He's sort of meant to be a player who you can rely on. Um, and just sort of creeping in, I'm seeing like, and quite a lot of Spurs fans are sort of saying the same that we're seeing sort of mistakes that are a combination of both him and sort of the defenders. There doesn't seem to be that sort of connection between the two. Um, I mean, you saw for West Ham's first goal. Can't remember. Can you remember who it was that flashed it across the face? Was it? Um, uh, was it Kufa? It might have been Kufa. I can't remember who whipped. Yeah, I think it was. I can't remember who whipped the cross in. Um, but you you saw it just kind of the usual runs across the front of the defence. Dyer doesn't deal with it because he's he's sort of useless at the moment. And then Lloris, Lloris doesn't doesn't man his box and come out and claim it. And and, and Antonio tucks it in. But yeah, I mean, I can't can't really. Uh, say anything else other than that on the defensive side it's just a bit of a shambles at the moment and Davinson Sanchez he's still dizzy from when Gundogan wants <laughs> sent him sent him back to Colombia <laughs> um, that's the thing um, I, I remember when you had your sort of good run and people were sort of saying you know are they in it for the title 
think it was the game you beat us. Um, I think it was 2-0, and everyone was sort of saying it was that time where your defence looked really solid. But I don't know if this was on the pod. I don't think we would, we'd started it back up then. But I kept saying to people, yeah, they're doing great right now, but why do people suddenly keep saying Dyer is, like, the answer? And it reminds me, Arsenal had it over the years so many times where you've had a defender have a good couple of weeks, like Mustafi, and you're like, yeah, this is it. And it's like people just forget, even David Luiz, they've got these moments in them that just come back so often. So I was quite surprised when people backed Dyer the way they yeah, did. I was one, yeah. I don't know whether I backed Dyer specifically, but when Spurs were on top earlier in the season, I did think they'd be in and around the conversation. And it was because defensively, I mean, even when you lost to Liverpool 2-1, um, and when you beat City, oh, I remember the game against City 2-0, I thought you were so good in the fact that you stayed on your, your players in the back line just stayed on their feet all game, yeah. didn't dive in, nothing reckless. And that just seems to have gone out the window. Yeah, I mean, obviously when when Jose first came in, I don't know if you've seen, I remember there was that video of him kind of going around the um, first training session and he was kind of talking to all the players, like getting, getting to know them and being like, oh, like sort of I want you to, to step it up. I've seen a lot of you, I like you. And I remember Dyer was like one of the first players that sort of, being able to speak Portuguese, I think he kind of singled him out as someone who he could kind of communicate to quite sort of easily yeah. and be on the same sort of wavelength with. And I remember when he first started Dyer and got him playing again, because obviously on the Portatino, he wasn't wasn't getting sort of the starts he was wanting. He wasn't sure if he was a defensive midfielder or he was a centre-half. So I think when Mourinho came in and sort of said to him, look, I want you to, to man the defence and be that, that centre-back that I need, it, it kind of kicked him into gear a bit. He kind of turned into this player that we'd been looking for and someone who we could sort of rely on to man that back that back line. Um, and then, like you said, when we played City, I think people were kind of just a bit caught off guard. Like, it was the first time that the club had actually started playing this way of football that focused solely on stopping conceding goals. And then when you've got players like Kane and Son sort of up the top of the pitch who literally just stood up up on the halfway line waiting for the ball to be cleared away. And um, just, yeah, I think just even a team as good as as good as City kind of just got caught out there. I think they weren't, weren't sort of expecting it. Um, but obviously now it's got to the point where I think Jose got criticised and the team got criticised so much for playing almost like an anti-social way of, of football. Um, I think it got to the point where they kind of just just gave up on it and thought, oh, we, we've got to actually try and try and score some goals now. Um, and I think when you've got players with the ability, like like Kane and Son and, and Dombele and stuff like that, playing defensive football, it's not pretty. And you get players like that that think, I can't, spend my whole time at the club relying on the ball being hoofed up to me to then go and do the rest. They want to be involved in a team that plays good-looking football and, and attacks sort of with a bit of sort of creativity and a bit of, bit of yeah. spark. So I think that's with, kind of... With, with, uh, is Aldevaro Road injured? Uh, it's, it's, it's difficult. I think, obviously, when Vertonghen left, um, he obviously left 
due to obviously getting on a bit and and kind of being being past his best. But when they when they broke up that partnership, it kind of seemed like what what now sort of where to go from here. And I think with Alderweire, obviously, I don't know what it is, whether it's something going on, sort of in training or something. He's, I think he's had a couple couple injuries here and there. But I think whether it's something going on in training where he's not sort of quite performing when when Jose's sort of watching and trying to sort out his his backline, I don't know. Um, but the only time I've seen him sort of play is is in sort of the FA Cup fixtures we've had and. and They've been kind of against lesser opposition, um, so he's played quite well. Quite well in them. Um, I, to be honest, I, I'm happy to to give anyone a go at the back at the moment. I think because we we have no idea what the shape is at the moment, and who starts with who. Um, all I'm saying at the moment is Davinson Sanchez and Eric Dyer cannot carry on as as our sort of leading partnership at the moment because it's trouble waiting to happen really. But, I think, I think also we have to give credit to West Ham. Like I feel like we should focus on them a little bit. It wasn't just Spurs, but yeah, flying, absolutely flying at the moment. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a I, big, big fan of uh, big fan of Thomas Suchek. I think. Oh, massive fan, massive fan of him. I think I, I had West Ham going down this year. Oh really? Way off. I was way off, <laughs> way off this year. Yeah. Um, I mean, um. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but. But since Moyes has come back in, he's kind of uh, he's got got them flying. I think the one thing I was surprised about is uh, I thought Ben Rama, um, I thought he would sort of have a bit more of a an impact than he has. Yeah, I don't know if it's just uh, struggling to find his feet or something. But I, don't I think know. Um, I think on that one, I know they play different sides, but I think Bowen potentially was. I think people definitely rated him, but I think he was almost better than people thought he was going to be and more influential. And obviously, obviously you can have great players on both sides, but a lot of teams tend to have like a side they focus on, especially when you've got Sufa on the right-hand side, who's um, been a great addition at right-back. I think arguably they've just focused on that side and you've got four nails, sometimes plays on the left, so I guess Lingard can. So I think um, I think Ben Rama was in the plan to be almost their main man. Um, it hasn't happened yet, but I mean, he's still young. He's a great player. I think he'll. I feel like he hasn't played that badly. I, yeah, I, I don't think he's I, bad at all. I think I think he's just the goals and assists haven't really come he, yet. Yeah, he's just struggling to get to get time, isn't he? But I think one thing that I've been sort of quite impressed with, with West Ham um, and how they've kind of performed is they they're kind of very solid all around the park. They they yeah. don't sort of rely on a certain like with us we rely on a certain couple of players to do the do the job you look at people like like Cresswell no one sort of was looking at the start of the season and thinking oh Aaron Cresswell is going to be bagging assists left right and centre you've got um, I think it was Dawson uh, who they yeah. got put back in and they've just although they they don't have sort of individual players that are going to do anything ridiculously crazy Mm. I think they've got consistent players that can perform to a good good standard like all, all across the board. Um, well, yeah, got I mean, great. To, to bring it back, like you mentioned those kind of players who just kind of get the job done. I think even now, when his stock has definitely risen from when he left Arsenal, Fabianski still isn't viewed as a top goalkeeper in the league. And maybe he isn't, but he definitely is that just solid option. He's improved. I remember when he left Arsenal, everyone was a bit like, he's... 
He was never. It's not like when um Emmy Martinez left this summer and everyone knew he was top class, even though he's a backup. He was really sort of wobbly, and he's just such a solid option. Even Ogbonna, I mean, mm. he was at his peak years ago at Juventus. Even when he first joined, people thought, mm. you know, he might be past it. So yeah, I, I think they're just such a solid all-round team, and um, yeah, they've been threatening to push into Europe for a couple of years. Like every year, you think, oh wow, they might do it. <laughs> this is probably the one year when no one thought they would. Um, um, watch, watching yeah. watching the game, it was one they they've got a, sort of a very solid core to the team. I think watching the game, I mean, those times where I was looking at us switching the ball around the defense to the wing and going back again, thinking there's no space anywhere in the middle because they've got that Rice and Suchek sort of combination going in the middle, and then out wide, I think Kufau was what like five million quid or something. Yeah. Uh, what a like what a buy he's been for them. Um and then obviously trying to get through Suchek in the middle, he takes up so much room, doesn't he? He's massive, massive bloke. Um Do you think yeah, he makes team of the year? Suchek. Oh right. I mean I'm, there's I'm a trying lot... to think of a worse a better DM to be honest I mean, with you at the moment. There's a lot a lot of competition in the middle um for for that sort of team of the year. I think he even suffer from that. And this is like sort of wrong, but it just is a it is a factor of the big team bias. Like yeah, he's yeah. never gonna get if he did the exact same stats this season and he played for Arsenal or whoever, yeah. he'd probably be a sir. But yeah. um I think yeah, I think a lot of people would say it would be. But going back as well, we you did finally mention him, but none of us mentioned Declan Rice for so long. Mm. He's such a good talent and it's yeah. it's difficult. You get these players now where he is pure quality he can play CDM or centre-back and he now has almost like the Kane decision where Tottenham were really on the up and maybe not to the same degree but West Ham are on the up now he kind of is going to have in the next two years that decision and maybe he'll be helped if West Ham have a poor season next year or make it easier to say I'm going to leave but I think he is at this sort of crunch time now in the next two years where he's got to decide whether to move on and I think even if they do make Europe I think if they make Europe, he'll have another year. But I think, say they finish sixth or eighth next year, I think he should make the jump because you see so many players miss that boat. Yeah, I think um, kind of a lot, a lot of what we might see, um, sort of especially with upcoming sort of transfers, is teams are obviously going to have to cover for the losses that they've had with kind of revenue and, and ticket sales and stuff like that. Yeah. So I think you'll find with teams sort of like Arsenal with West Ham if someone came in for Declan Rice with sort of a good enough offer that they couldn't really turn down to help like cover the the financial situation for a lot of Premier League teams at the moment, I think they'd be they'd find it tough to to turn it down. And there's a lot of teams out there that would happily take someone like Declan Rice. So I think yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we did see uh if we did see it. But as you said, like quality player and he has been for a while now. So I think it'd be exciting to sort of see him in the England, uh, in the England setup. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's set to be. I think Southgate likes him. I know a lot of people say it's his preferences, yeah. but, but I think he's definitely in that mould of a Southgate player. Yeah, I remember um, how sort of he'll work. I think a lot of people are assuming that it will be uh, sort of the team will be built around him and Jordan Henderson. Yeah, so, um, I think it'd be quite interesting to see sort of how how he works. Uh, Next to next to someone like Henderson and playing off sort of different sort of creative players that the England team are going to have going into the Euros. 
Would you? Would either of you be tempted to use him as a centre half for England just to get in an extra creative player that we have, maybe in about three? No, I'd rather not, just because I think he's so good in the middle of the park. I don't want to lose that. Player. Yeah, I mean, obviously you you got to look at how how we are at the moment. I think you've got people like John Stones, who's who's sort of out of nowhere turned into yeah. how whether that's influenced by the sort of the people around him. I think obviously Ruben Diaz has been has been good, but we'll we'll get on to that. But I think kind of just like like you said, Max, just keep him where he is. He's doing a job, not not putting a foot wrong at the moment. So why sort of why change that? I think his I think his attacking player is underrated as well. I think some people still think of him as a DM, but he scored a couple this year, he's created a couple, so yeah, I agree. I, I'd use him there. Keep him, keep him where he's effective. You, you saw he wanted to to take the penalty um, that he scored the other week. So it obviously shows that he, he he's aware of his sort of the one sort of thing he's missing is is that sort of return on goals and, and assists. Yeah. So you can tell he wants to to get involved in that area. So I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if he does sort of try and try and get that up and sort of bet, better himself in that area. Yeah. So if we move on, um, I mean, all of our teams lost this weekend. So it depends which one we want to start with. Should we go with the Merseyside derby then? Um, yeah. A tuna win for Everton, their first win at Anfield since 1999. Um, yeah, not the best result, but it was a great result for Everton. Um, they're pushing for top four as well. I think they've got a game on Liverpool and on the same amount of points now. So, I mean, to be honest, like, go... Going into that, I remember I, I, I said to a mate of mine, who's a, who's a Liverpool fan, I said to him, looking at that team sort of in the starting lineup, I'd be honest, I, I criticised Ancelotti. I, I said to him, like, is he, is he, what is he playing for here? He didn't really have much sort of attacking uh, threats starting, did he? he had, um, I think he had Allen. Um, Carver Lewin on the bench, and I looked at the team and I thought, where, where are the goals going to come from there? I think he had uh, Hamez sort of just behind Richarlison and sort of kept them up top and sort of kept the shape sort of defensively solid at the back. And I looked at it and I thought, don't really see if this is the right way to to attack the game with Liverpool being in such poor form. But uh, I ate my words, didn't I? He got it, got it pretty much spot on, didn't he? So, what did you make of the penalty incident? Uh, I mean, if I was an Everton fan, I'm screaming pen. Um, but at the same time, if if I'm a Liverpool fan, I'm thinking there's not not a lot that that Trent can do um, do there. But I mean, I I think they they looked at it. The VAR they kind of gave it the first instinct that they gave was penalty. Um, but I think whether or not um, they gave it. I think Everton thoroughly deserved to to be two up. Um, yeah. No, I don't, I don't think um, I don't think Liverpool would have scored anyway. I mean, I don't think it was a pen. I thought it was a ridiculous decision, but yeah. I don't think Liverpool would have got anything from the game anyway. So, yeah, were well worth their win. I thought Liverpool. I think we were good at the start of the second half, good at the start of the first half, but again, we just fade after ten fifteen minutes. We can't we can't, we can't break a team down after ten fifteen minutes in each half. We, we don't really have anything else at the moment. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I, I do sort of want to want to touch on is I, I'm, I think in terms of how the whole current situation is with the Premier League and sort of 
with the the no fans uh, being in the stadium, I think for a team like Liverpool, I think if we're going to sort of suggest any teams have been largely affected by the current sort of climate, I think I think Liverpool are up there because for for someone to sort of say that without the fans being in Anfield and without sort of the cop end and the sort of usual buzz that's created by sort of the, the, the fans for home games, I sit there and sort of suggest that a lot of these games that Liverpool are struggling in, I can't help but imagine they would have gone differently if they would have had the pressure of all the fans sort of at Anfield having, having a go at them basically and telling them to, to pick it up. I don't know. I don't know if you are sort of... Well, I, I'm yeah. just going to mention something. With, um, we're going to touch on the Arsenal game in a bit, but obviously it was one that Man City, they scored really quickly, but there was no, there was never a point where Arsenal started turning the screw and like even just lumping long balls in in the last five minutes when you hold out that long, there was no momentum building at all for Arsenal. And I, I think that's just down to Man City's quality. And I know Arsenal's fan, fan impact in the ground isn't anywhere near the level of Anfield. Mm. Um, but I think a lot of teams will probably struggle with that thing where it's like, especially when you're down or you're drawing and you're the team that's expected to win in the last 20 minutes, I don't think you can underestimate the benefit of that. I remember under Wenger, we had so many games where we came back. And like you mentioned, Anfield, obviously you had the, the West Brom 2 all where yeah. all the players went up to the crowd. Like you can't I mean, really I, I can't help but think that a lot of sort of players at the moment, they may not sort of actually be doing it, but I, I look at some of the games and I think, they're playing it almost like a training match. They don't really yeah. seem asked to be honest. They're kind of jogging around, sort of not really the intensity isn't there. Like if if Liverpool would have gone one 0 down in the Merseyside derby and there were all those fans in in Anfield, the amount of grief that you can imagine they'd have been getting and the the fans would have been obviously like trying to get them get them going. And I think may I might be wrong. It might sort of not be as big of a factor, but I can't help but think that players sometimes thrive to a huge extent off of that that boost that they get from sort of fan support. And I think partly what what I blame the the run of Liverpool on is in how their Anfield is no longer seen as this sort of absolute fortress, difficult place to go at the moment is is because it's it's, it's empty. They're, they're not getting the same sort of sort of backing that they're used to. Um yeah I th- I, I can't I- an empty, an empty stadium isn't going to help Liverpool at all. I mean, it is a it is a very loud ground, and any time, like you say, we go down, the, the, you can't underestimate the sort of motivation you get when sixty thousand people are screaming your name. <laughs> yeah. um, so, compared to an empty doldrum of a stadium, stadium, it's a bit like, I mean, you can compare Anfield. It's a big stadium, but also to the sort of stadiums that sit closer to the ground. So ones like Ellen Road. Yeah. Um, Sellers Park, they're all set, all the same. I think Leeds have done quite well to to do so well without their fans. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think it's affected a lot of teams, but I understand, I do understand the thing of uh, affecting Liverpool. To be honest, what um what, what do you think of Thiago? I mean, we touch on him sort of specifically. I know there's sort of a lot of debate going on at the moment around him. Um, I think he's I'm fifty fifty in terms of the reaction to how he's playing. On one side, I feel like he's too harshly criticised because I feel like people are expecting him to be the everything for Liverpool yeah. because of the hype that came in. He's got to do everything for the team. 
he can't score or assist or do everything for the team. That's that's not what he did for Bayern. It's not what he did for Barcelona. It's not what he's going to do for Liverpool. But on the other hand, I think he's struggling playing at the six because I don't think he can cope with the height of the midfield. Mm. Um, if you see the comparison to when he's playing to when Fabinho plays in there, it's another world in terms of the physicality. Fabinho is such a physical presence. He dominates that area of the field. Thiago's not like that. He's not a tradition. To be honest, the guy isn't a traditional DM anyway. He played there for Bayern because he was a good playmaker and he could split the lines. Um, I mean, one thing that I've sort of thought would be interesting to see and you've not obviously had the chance to do it is when Van Dijk obviously comes back in, shift Fabinho forward and have him and Henderson as the holding and have Thiago playing in, in front of them. I can't sort of help think that that would be a sort of more like much more successful formula. I think players like Fabinho and Henderson are too good to be sitting sweeping up at the back. Um, and obviously, when uh, Henderson sort of pulled up with that injury, you just thought, "Is is you can't can't make it up, can you?" It's just ridiculously unfortunate at the moment. And... Well, I was saying this to one of my friends, like Jota's back in training this week, um, and. <laughs> I'm just telling you now, I bet he gets injured during the international break in a week. <laughs> It'd just be typical, but oh God, it is, it is a massive crisis now with Henderson out. Like, it's going to have to be Kabak and maybe yeah, David. Man, I mean, what, what are you making of uh, this this Kabak fellow? I've, I mean, all I've seen him do is get his name written in the book. Uh, not, not, much, not much more than that. I mean, he played really well against Leipzig. Um, very, very good. Um, him and Curtis Jones were probably the two most solid players on the pitch that night, along with probably Salah. Salah played quite well. But, I mean, he looks he looks hot, like good. Yeah, he's, he's, young. he's young, isn't he? He's young. Yeah, he's only 20. Do you think so, that Leipzig game is down to familiarity? And when he gets, because obviously he's in the Bundesliga, and then when possibly, he gets that yeah. in the Premier, he'll sort of bring it up. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I think it's hard because he was playing in such a poor team this season, a poor, yeah. poor striker team. So, I mean, there probably is, there will undoubtedly be a little bit of familiarity with that Leipzig team because he's obviously played them for a couple of years now. Um, but I think, I think he looks good. I mean, I thought he got absolutely like thrown under the bus by Allison in his first game. I thought, yeah. I mean, you come in as a 20-year-old for your debut at Liverpool and your goalkeeper goes and takes you out for a ball that you have covered. I understand Alisson does that, but he could see the whole field. It was I couldn't believe it. But, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to focus all on Liverpool. Like, Everton were good and Everton are solid. Like, they're a good team this year. It's the best Everton team I've seen since I've started following football. And that's saying something because Everton have always just finished around eight basically every yeah. year to follow football. And they actually could push for top four this year, which makes a change. Yeah. Do you think they're better than the David Moyes Everton that did push for top four? I think they finished fifth behind Arsenal. That, when they had, like, that is close to be fair. Coleman, they had uh, Coleman and Baines like flying. Cahill as well. Uh, Flaney. Flaney is amazing. Cahill, Arteta. To be fair, they were pretty similar to. Um, I guess you could say they're similar to West Ham now. Obviously, they're mm-hmm. Suchek, Fellaini. It's quite an obvious comparison. Arteta. Mate, what a player, what a man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good comparison, actually. I didn't. I forgot about how good that Everton team were. Yeah, I mean, I think that I, I think they did make top four 
in 2005, possibly, but Liverpool won the Champions League and that took them out of it. <laughs> okay, yeah. But, I mean, I've, obviously, they've brought in players like Rodriguez. Um, I mean, he's he's kind of brought that sort of bit of experience and a bit of bit of flair that they've kind of been yeah. missing in. Obviously, his, his through ball to, to Richarlison, you couldn't really, really have put it any better than he did. Um just uh, the only thing with him is sort of fitness-wise, you do see him kind of drop off a bit um, towards the end of the game. But I think as soon as they can get Allen back in that that midfield, um, so obviously with Davies and Gomez, they did a did a pretty good job in there. Um, but you just think someone like Allen just makes such a difference coming in there and just breaking up breaking up the play that I think they'll be they'll be happy to have him. They're going to be even harder to break down now. Allen's back because he was. Arguably their best player in the when he was playing earlier in the season. Yeah, he's been out for so long, and they bring him back in the side now, and that team's gonna have so much more freedom to create. I mean, you you look at their next two. I think they've got is it Southampton at home and West Brom away. Um, they'll be looking at that, thinking six points, opportunity to yeah get get six points there. Um, Calvert Lewin, I thought he looked alright when he when he came back on. Um, obviously difficult for him with the uh, with the injury setbacks, but he won the penalty, didn't he? Whether or whether or not you thought it was a penalty, but he he looks uh, he looks sort of hungry again. So I think. Do you think they do you think they have it in them? Obviously with Ancelotti, but just as a club, do you think they can they can push on and obviously not this season, next season challenge for the title? Or do you think it is top four would sort of be their limit? I I don't know. There's there's something about them that I think they're still missing, uh, whether or not it's sort of that one sort of creative spark or mm. special player that they have. But you look at sort of the other teams like like City and sort of United, they've got like sort of De Bruyne, Bruno yeah. Fernandes sort of thing. They've got those special players that can kind of bring the whole team together. And I still think Everton are kind of missing a couple sort of class players. They're obviously still relying on people like Seamus Coleman, who yeah. he's been about for how long. And obviously Pickford's been a bit sort of unreliable for them this season. So I think if they were to kind of go out and improve those sort of couple areas that they kind of lack a bit, then there's no reason why with a manager like um, like Ancelotti that they can't sort of start pushing on. But I think like you said, Max, they've kind of been consistent like they've been a problem consistently. Like Everton's never been an easy game. Like you've never looked at a, a fixture against Everton and thought, "Oh yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll take three points there." So I think their sort of next step is taking themselves from a difficult team to play to a, a team that can can challenge and, and sort of cement themselves in that top four. I think they could do with more winners in the squad. To be honest, I mean they've got a winning coach. But apart from that, Hammers is the only guy I can think of who's consistently won throughout his career. Yeah. Real, basically, and yeah. briefly at Bayern. I mean, I mean, Alex Wobie won the FA Cup, but <laughs> it's not quite the same. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at that, and you think they—they they obviously spent what was it like thirty million on him. And don't get me wrong, he's—he's it, it, he's kind he's of good player, but he's not—he's not. Right, he's not quite... you, you look at that and think they definitely are. Personally, think they could have invested that money uh, a bit, bit better. Um, well, it's not even just him. They spent, I think it was twenty on Theo Walcott the year before, yeah. and I think that's the difference with 
before they were spending the same amount of money they spent this year, except Ancelotti came in and said, like, it was almost, I, I'm sure they went for higher level tier players than them, but they almost couldn't attract them. Whereas now, you don't even need Champions League football, you just need to say, we've got Ancelotti. And that is such a draw for something like Hammers wouldn't have gone there if they had whoever else in charge. Um, but I, I, I think. I think they could get top four this year because the league is so volatile and so many teams are dropping. But I think if we assume next year that Liverpool get back on it and all these other teams get back on it, I I can't see them solidifying. And I don't, I'm not really sure why I don't really see Ancelotti staying for a sort of crazy amount of time. So I think for them, getting top four this season should be uh, an essential. And then obviously next year, see how you're doing it. But then also just try and win an FA Cup because like you say that winner's mentality you don't know what that can do to your squad it can just transform everything I think as well you've got people like Hamez obviously he's on a t- he's on a timer isn't he with his career he's, he's yeah. getting going to get to the point where he's going to run out of time and so you look at that midfield that they started with you take him out of there you're not going to have Gomez and and Davies sort of playing World class through balls and switching the play like like Hamas does, so I think now, like you said, is their opportunity to take advantage of like the quality they have. I mean, people overlook players like like Richarlison. I mean, he's that finish uh, on the weekend was was pretty good. I mean, if yeah. you'd expect that from someone like like Kane, like sort of Aguero sort of thing. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, like as you said, if they can. Uh, can kick on and kind of have they have they got a couple games in hand or have they got a game in hand? I think is it the one game in hand? One maybe. Yeah. So if, obviously, if they can take advantage of that, they've got two winnable fixtures coming up. If they can uh, sort of take advantage of that, there's no reason why they can't sort of be in that little mixer of uh, getting a European spot. So. Yeah. Yeah, should we? Um, I mean, we were going to cover the Arsenal Man City game, but we're sort of we spent a bit of time on that. So I think if we just sum up the Arsenal game, is Man City are pretty good at football. Yeah, Ars- <laughs> Arsenal are not good at football. Um, we mentioned, didn't we, earlier on, like not being able to turn the screw. I think Man City are too good. But if we um, if we jump on then, um, if we go on to the fan questions, and then later on we'll talk about the uh, Champions League and do some more predictions and talk about. Our predictions last week, which in yeah. short did not go too well, but um, yeah, have you got your answers ready for these? Did Max yeah, have- well, um, so obviously, uh, in terms of my first memory, um, if that's where to start, yeah. um, I think one of my sort of favorite things to do when I was younger was um, I'd come home from training or I'd wake up on the on the day after the games, and do you remember they used to have the teletext? Um, yeah. on the TV yeah, yeah. and it was obviously nowadays you can check the results and the scores and matches at a click of a button on an app or on Twitter or something but I remember I used to spend so long bringing up the teletext and scrolling through and trying to find like the results of the the matches and I remember I started playing um, fantasy football when I was quite young and so I kind of always had an interest in teams and results and players that aren't necessarily just associated with with Spurs Um, so yeah just the memory of sitting when I was younger flicking through the teletext and having it come up with the with the results and scores I think is quite sort of a good or authentic uh, of memory but yeah I feel like my equivalent of that would be 
I think I was just sort of after Teletext, but I remember I used to always just have Match of the Day recorded and yeah. I'd watch it the next morning at like nine, ten o'clock, whatever. Especially when I'd like had a game at like 11, yeah. I would just watch Match of the Day before. I'd always be like, right, yeah, I'm going to, I'm just going to play like whoever. What? watch some world-class players and then you <laughs> translate that on the, on, on the Sunday league pitch. Mate, honestly, I just watched 2013 Yaya Torre and I was like, right, let's go out, just quickly like, perform like that and then we'll go out. You're, were you a bit of a Yaya Torre? <laughs> <laughs> Mate, it was my Twitter bio for about five years, 2013-14 Yaya Torre. On a real though, just little, just little tangent, that season is insane. I think at some point we've got to do a like debate or something on like the best one, not that he was a one-off, but individual seasons that were just ridiculous. But um, yeah, do you, do you think you would have a first Tottenham memory specifically, if you could think of one? Um, well, necessarily sort of one of my first and, and favourite ones um, was in 2009. Um, I won a, the club used to do like a, a, a draw, like a fan draw, and you could go on and uh, be a mascot for um, one of the games and I remember I drew, uh, ironically, it was West Ham at home. And um, I think I was 10, like just 10 at the time. Yeah. And um, got the opportunity to sort of go and be a mascot um, for the game. And I remember you um, you were meant to write in and tell them about like your favourite player. And they'll sort of try and like organise it so that, so that you could sort of meet your favourite player or like, walk out on the pitch with your favourite player. Yeah. And I remember I was stood in the tunnel um, waiting to kind of see who, all the players and stuff like that. I remember Jermaine Genus uh, walked, sort of came over to me and I was sort of stood in the tunnel having a chat to Jermaine Genus. And don't get me wrong, like he's a good bloke, but we had some sort of world class players <laughs> in that lineup. We had like we had like Bale, we had sort of couple couple good players in there, and I was thinking, don't don't act. Tell me, I'm holding Genius's hand out onto the pitch, and we've got some people like Robbie Keane, uh, like Ledley King, on the, who, who were playing. Um, and then after I sort of had a chat with him, all the players shifted forward, and my favourite player at the time was Aaron Lennon, and uh, he was like, "Yeah, come on, mate, like you, you're coming out with me." So, my, I was ten, ten year old, stood in the tunnel there, over the moon. Um, but obviously, when you're that young, the kind of whole thing's just so overwhelming. It, like, it struggled to to take it in. But yeah, we got a um, I think we won one nil that day, and it was a Roman Pavlyuchenko uh, off the bench finish. So I think that was obviously like one of my one of my favorite favorite memories. Yeah, I was gonna say, Max, you'd you'd like this one. I cannot remember for the life of me which friend it is, but um, I'm from, obviously I'm from Bristol. I've sort of talked about it a few times, and what he went, he was a mascot at Bristol City friendly against Ajax. Yeah, you know, he was with um, Luis Suarez. Really? Wow. Yeah, that's a pretty big one. That's a good little. My good my one. It's obviously not a mascot, but I went to under twenty one England saw Zaha play. So oh, yeah. that's my little <laughs> play to it. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, uh, it was quite funny. I remember I was um, in the, you have like a little changing room um, where you, you get your kit on before you go and like stand in the tunnel. And I remember I was watching um, the, the football that was on like that the morning before the afternoon game. 
I can't remember who it was against, but Fernando, I just remember Fernando Torres scoring an absolute screamer on the telly. And I was proper, like that proper gassed me off. I was well excited about that. So I was thinking, I, be- I better see some good goals today. Um, and it just turned out to be a, a, a Pavlyuchenko off the bench winner. So, but uh, don't get me wrong, like go, being at the old White Hart Lane, um, it was a cracking stadium. Um, sometimes it, I think uh, it would be nice to just sort of relive that stadium one more time. I think a lot of the fans do miss it sometimes. Um, but yeah, sort of a memory that, uh, that I won't forget. And it was just the luck of the draw, wasn't it? So, yeah, no, that was good. That was a good little memory, that. So if we move on, um, we've talked about our own, we've talked about it with other guests. Because um, I remember Sam's was... Messi chipping Neuer. Mine was Ajax versus uh, Real. And... Oh. <laughs> Football fan. Oh, wait. Wait, did you not like them then? You yeah, really like them. That's right. I think, I think I've, got, I've got a brief of what, what oh, you asked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so if you're asking about sort of my favourite memory outside of Spurs, um, I did have a little think about it this morning. It's obviously a, a difficult one, but I'm going to go with... Um, the Aguero goal versus QPR um, to 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 win the title. I think a lot of uh, a lot of fans are uh, sort of accept the fact that that was a pretty pretty special moment. Um, and I th- I think I remember I had both the Sky Sports News like the Gillette special and uh, I think I had the United game on at the same time. And I remember them saying, like, "Oh, it's it's all over at United." So they they think they've won it, and I I turned that game off and I put the the Gillette special on, and uh, I think when I turned the special on, Ed, it was Ed and Jeko. I think had just just scored, yeah. And I can't say I remember anticipating that it would happen, but I remember thinking if they turn this around. This would be sick. I think a lot of fans <laughs> think this would be class. And then just, I think Paul Merson was covering the game that day, and you, you just remember the the iconic sort of commentary of the the, the Balotelli Aguero sort of thing. <laughs> and I just couldn't help but think, what a what a wicked moment! Just for not just for Man City fans, but just in general, you think like that sort of moment just kind of made up sort of what foot, what football is to a lot of people. Um, There's nice seeing United not win the trophy. I was yeah. happy, happy for City to win it that year. But yeah, I'll go with that. That was definitely one of my favourite sort of recent, recent memories. But, you know, um, you know, a lot of people give Man City, I guess as a club, but also fans, they give them a lot of stick. And it's kind of just the, the, the main rebuttal about them winning everything is that it's all money and it's all kind of plastic and there's no history gets thrown around quite a lot. Like, when 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 does it start becoming history? Like, that moment is iconic. So many football fans know that's, like, more than so many other teams, like, big moments. Yeah. Like, how long do you think it would be, assuming they kept up? When do they, when does every, because at some point, everyone had a money injection, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I think there's always that story about Arsenal, like, yeah. buying their way into the league and get, I think they actually got Tottenham relegated when they came into the league. <laughs> so how long do you reckon it would take for Man City to... I mean, to, seen in that way. To, to be honest with you, like, I've kind of, for the last couple of seasons, I've, I've looked at it and I've gone, 
a lot of the time I'd much rather someone like City win the title than Liverpool or yeah, Chelsea yeah. or something like that. I think I don't sort of hold any grudges against City for the injection of money that they had because like you said it's it's constantly happening like teams get injected with financial support all the time so for me personally I can't I can't remember the last season that I looked at City and went oh I don't don't like the way they've gone about that because it's it's the game at the moment so to be honest with you I, I think a lot of people would agree that it's I no longer look at City and think oh they're only up there because of the position like the financial position they're in I think they're up there because for years they they've been probably technically the best team in the league while Liverpool last year that that the Premier League has, has seen for a while. Um, so I think it's already happening that people are looking at them as more than just a team that got lucky financial support and that they're actually deserved consistent contenders every year. Mm. Um, I mean, but Max, I, you've had the most kind of like rivalry with them, haven't you, as a Liverpool fan, probably other than maybe Man U in the early years. Like, how do you see them compared to your rivalry with Man United and all the other top teams? I understand City are a rival in name, but they're nothing compared to Man United. In terms of the rivalry with Liverpool, there is nothing. I care about it, obviously, as a Liverpool fan, but I don't care as much as if United won it. Doesn't mean as much to me if City yeah. win it. Does mean something, but not as much as if United win it. As for the thing of when history becomes history for Man City, I think it will happen when the next generation below us becomes our age mm. and starts following football to a consistent basis, because they're not going to have seen the. They don't have the. We did, we lived through the period where Man City weren't that good. They were a mid-table club or in the well, championship. It's like, it's like Harrison, literally. Then you just kind of mentioned Chelsea, like. Yeah, Chelsea, Man United. Chelsea got money like just sort of when we were young, and mm. now we kind of don't see Chelsea in that light. So that kind of goes that way as well, Max. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, completely. I mean, again, we didn't probably we just missed out on sort of Chelsea before the money. Yeah. So we again, we I think I think a lot of people do still say about Chelsea, like especially like you see the last summer they just had spending two hundred twenty million. They've still got the they still the ability to do it, but. Um, it, it fades over time everything fades over time people forget yeah. they choose to forget <laughs> I think because so. it, it was just such like a sudden injection I remember I remember well them signing someone like Rubinho and yeah. people like Joe and stuff like that and I think because they went from that sudden sort of player status of of average to decent players yeah. to bringing in world-class sort of talent. I think that was the difference that a lot of people weren't happy about. You saw other teams bring in good players to aid already good players. That was kind of the difference in the, the money injection. I think, um, yeah, I think Chelsea, a lot of Chelsea fans at least, would say they were already a sort of just below slash top four team anyway, and then they just got that boost. But also I think Man City were just like, you know, they sort of say, like, you, you, great money really helps, but it doesn't guarantee anything. Chelsea haven't seen... It's difficult with Chelsea because they've won the league a lot, obviously, but they still have this cycle where they win it and then they're awful and then they win it and they just go through this repeated, like, three, four-year cycle, whereas Man City seem to have got it down a little bit more consistent. Maybe it's because they just have more. But I was going to say, I wonder, if it, I wonder if Man City won't be viewed 
I think you are right. It could be sort of the next generation. But I wonder if Man City have to get near the Liverpool, Man United, 18, uh, 19, is it 19 and 20 leagues? Like, I wonder if they have to get there before it's like... Oh, yeah, they will yeah. definitely have to get near there because they got to over they got to overtake Arsenal to be honest. Yeah. To even how many are they on now? If they want Arsenal this? have Arsenal have thirteen. Arsenal have thirteen. You know Man, Man City must be on about five, five or six. Yeah, Everton have got nine. I know that. Yeah. So they're, they're the top four, but they need to get in and around that sort of mix because otherwise it does still look like you've just suddenly jumped up over a couple of years, you need to have an extended period of dominance, which they are I wonder, doing. I wonder, I wonder if when they overtake, well, if they overtake Arsenal, that will be when it's like, okay. Yeah, I think I think that will that will trigger it. Um, mm. Yeah. Champions League wouldn't. Champions would, League is definitely how. Because I think as well, the Champions League, that wins you so many arguments against Arsenal. Um, and I, yeah, but I don't know. But yeah, if we, if we move on from that, to the last question and this is the question everyone struggles with I don't know if you will Harrison um, um, yeah who who would you who's one player you wish Tottenham could sign from any time I mean this is obviously pains me because um, I don't like Chelsea but Eden Hazard uh, is probably the player that I've, I've gone for um, just in terms of sheer sort of ability and a player that whenever we play Chelsea like we we play Chelsea now and I didn't like or don't look at your team now and think there's one player in there who's going to cause serious damage and that if we don't stop them playing they can win the game on their own mm. or when you used to have the, someone like Eden Hazard playing any time that you were struggling a game all it took was him to get the ball and do something special and he could what single-handedly win the match for you I think if you remember, I think it was his goal versus Arsenal in 2017. Um, I think it's Coquelin turned inside out. He he walks through the rest of the defence and just kind of prods it uh, into the ground over the keeper. And you just think some players that we've we've been lucky to see in the league make playing football look effortless. I think he he was up there and I think if, if someone like him would have been playing for us at the time we had players like Modric uh, like Van der Vaart sort of thing someone like him in there as well we would have chances are we could have could have gone on to to win yeah. something and do a lot a lot better than just just the league cup um, but yeah qu- quality player and I think to see him kind of go downhill like he has since going to Madrid I think has obviously been been difficult but yeah especially when he was in the Prem I think quality player and and sort of took for granted how how good how good he was were you were you linked heavily with him before he went to Chelsea yeah I think was it was it where was he before was it Lille Lille yeah or Chelsea yeah um but obviously Spurs get linked to every player under the sun when they go to someone else the amount of papers that come out with Spurs missed out on this person and Spurs missed out on that. Um, there were obviously a few rumours going around that, that we were interested in him, but you you can never say these rumours are legit until a player suddenly becomes world-class and you've missed out on him. Interesting you say that, 
what about Bruno Fernandes? Because you were actually linked, and the Porter, pre- the uh, sporting president, did come out and make comments. Yeah, yeah I mean, obviously, mate, I could give you a, a whole bible of players <laughs> that, that could have come to us and been been quality. Um, but obviously, talented player, quality for United. But I can't help but but think that part of the reason he's doing so well at United is because they rely on him so much. I think, obviously, he slots into our team hands down. Like he, He'd work well. But when, with a team like us, we've got players like Kane and Son who are equally as capable as he is. And I think a lot of the reason that he's performed so well for United is that he's at, at the centre of everything. And I think if he wasn't at the centre of everything playing for us, I think he... Definitely would have done well, but I can't help but think he would have maybe found it a bit more difficult to to settle in than he has at, at United. But don't get me wrong, world class. I mean, would have been would have been ideal getting him, but yeah, just didn't in the end. I was just quickly. I thought you. I thought you were going to say this. I thought you. I don't know if you guys will know this because I, I, to me it's common knowledge. But obviously, I'm in the Arsenal circle. But we were linked with Hazard, and I think Tottenham heavily were. But then Chelsea got him, and we got Javinho. So, <laughs> at least you didn't do that. Yeah. That's that's just about that's got me the worst downgrade you could yeah. ever go for. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, Chelsea got off a bit better than you did there. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so, quality, quality player, but I don't think Javinho is the one for you. Right, so this is like I'm not really funny. No matter how good a player is, you see the image, you see the forehead. Surely, you just think. Let's give this one a miss. Like <laughs> this isn't gonna go well. Even if he's incredible, this is gonna become a meme. Like, it's not gonna do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, so that's my my answer, boys. Adam Hazard. So if we move on, we'll do the predictions now. Um, we'll have a little chat about the upcoming Champions League games and have a little reflection on the last week's games. Um, I think we were wrong about well. I think most people were wrong on the polls. I think the polls went the complete opposite direction to how they actually turned out. Um, have you got the poll up, Sam? Yeah, I've got all of them. So we had Sevilla to win, 62%. Yeah, yeah. It didn't happen. Juventus to win, 90%. I voted for Porto. I'd just like to say, I was the sole vote for Porto. <laughs> uh, Barcelona to win, 66 And Leipzig to win, 62 Leipzig surprised me. I feel like yeah, the same. rest kind of go with the favourites that makes sense but Leipzig to be fair I went Leipzig so I probably (laughs) (laughs) not that surprising then (laughs) yeah it was a mixed bag wasn't it it was I thought they were great it was it was it lived up to what I've been waiting for to be honest Um, like when you're watching it it literally looks better than other football yeah yeah, yeah, it's It's just elite it's so good elite football it's the top it's the best level football in the the world in any competition there's no doubt the quality is insane i think the only thing that's more enjoyable is the world cup yeah it's just like fun but the football world cup is normally the footballs sometimes the football world cups can be abysmal but watching it is just incredible but yeah the champions league does live up to the name definitely yeah so what game did you want to touch on to begin with? Uh, is this the old games or? Yeah. Um, I mean, the main shock for me, I think Liverpool, credit to them, it was a great result. It was kind of expected, I think, for most people other than us. <laughs> but um, No, I didn't expect it. 
I thought I didn't think. Yeah, it well, good. yeah. I mean, it came out of nowhere in their form, but credit credit to them, they got it done. I think they could. I think PSG was a crazy one, and there was this kind of. I guess actually, if we if we put Dortmund and PSG together, would you guys make of this supposed changing of the guard of Mbappe and Haaland? Do you think from yeah. now on it's it's them up, Messi, Ronaldo down, or do you think this is a false dawn? I I don't know. I think for me. Personally, I think I think Haaland's still got a little bit of a way to go before he kind of puts himself as like the same bracket as Mbappe, sort of Ronaldo, uh, Messi, sort of thing. I think he's doing he's doing well, um, and obviously he's scoring goals in the Champions League. But I think for me personally, he's kind of come out of almost came out of nowhere, didn't he? And he's he's kind of been been firing. Um, so I think by all means, if he keeps up the consistency, um, then there's no reason why he can't be in there. But I, I, I think he's still got a bit of a way to go before he sort of gets to the heights of sort of Mbappe. Um, but by all means, like like he said, a bit of competition wouldn't be a bad thing because two world-class players, you want to see them see them do well, um, especially for, for Pochettino's PSG. I'd happily... Like uh, Mbappe to to keep scoring goals, but I think they've got, I think that I think it is these two now. I think they've. I think we knew Mbappe would be that guy after we didn't. Haaland wasn't has only been around for about a year or two now, so he's he's only just emerged. Um, I I'm in love with Haaland, honestly. Like that guy. <laughs> Did you see the goal he scored at the weekend? Yeah. Little hook volley. Such a good finish. Oh, he is. Huh? Sorry, I was just going to say the only thing I've sort of. What have you boys sort of obviously with Jaden Sancho? Um, I know he's sort of worked off off Haaland quite well um, in the past, but especially with uh, England call up coming along and sort of getting the squad together. I don't. How how are you sort of thinking that he's he's doing at the moment? Um, He he seems sort of like on and off, um, doesn't he? I think the first half of the season he didn't do very well because I don't think he got his first goal until the new year. Hmm. So I, th- I think in the last month or two he's picked it up massively. I don't watch a lot of Bundesliga, but I do. I do watch some of the highlights. It just seems like the second half of the season he has kicked on now. Um, I mean Dortmund aren't doing very well in general, but they're, they're, I think they're still sat outside the Champions League places at the moment. Um, despite Haaland, which is pretty incredible, but. Um, I think Sancho's doing, he's not doing as well as last year, but I mean, he's only 21, isn't he? So yeah. it's peaks and troughs in a career. It happens. So, yeah. I think, I was going to say, I think he's quite a different role at Dortmund, especially if you compare it to what he's going to have at England. And I think it's one of the reasons I, I think personally, I wouldn't start him at the Euros. I think it's a very, very different role. He's almost like Boardman, like, he's like the second main goal for it, I think, for Dortmund behind Haaland. And I just think with um, with England, the way the, the way we play the, the three centre backs, I think you're probably going to have most of your creative players in the middle. And I think players like Sterling, Rashford, you just they have such a goal threat advantage at the moment on Sancho. And obviously, he's got time to improve that in his career. And obviously, you've got like Saka, who I'm in love with. But I just think there's a lot of players that offer you goals. Like not that I think he'll go even someone like Greenwood. I just think. 
in world in World Cups and in tournament football, it's all about results, and in turn, it's all about goals. So I think for me, Sancho may struggle to start the Euros. Uh, the, yeah, the Euros. Obviously, he can be an incredible impact, and he he could still start. But yeah, um, if we go back to Harlan and Mbappe, I just wanted. To, I think I saw a tweet that said because obviously you get these. I think it's BT you were tweeting about like uh, Mbappe's the new Messi and Harlan's new Ronaldo, and people were saying, well, no, because they're both they're both physical um they're both very physical very quick very strong i think both of them resemble much closer to ronaldo and i saw this tweet basically saying this just emphasizes the brilliance of messi but just the uniqueness of him i guess do you think there's going to be another messi style player or do you think i mean people talk about liverpool is very physicality driven your style of play is very energy driven do you think that's the future of football I think there's always room for a Messi type player, but I don't think they have to be on the level of Messi. That's the issue. Or yeah. Maradona. We've only seen a couple, like a couple of top top players, and mo- I mean, two of them have come from Argentina. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, football is an extremely physical game. It goes without saying. So, it helps to be a physical player. It's not saying Messi isn't physical. He is. He's just not as much presence physically. He is an extremely physical player. I think if you look at the, the the Barca team at the moment, you kind of get a hint that they're trying to find it in a player that's similar to him. But you look at their starting line, Pedri. players that they play, people like him, people like Fati. Yeah. You think they're kind of trying too hard to find someone that they can put in the like path of Messi and think, right, you're gonna do the next thing. But in answer to to your question, you kind of can't see anyone at the moment who's specifically the, the, the next one to sort of play like him yeah. and follow him on. Um, so obviously that's, I guess, kind of credit to him. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like in terms of, if you look at the youngsters in the world right now, because the, the other question I was going to ask is, do you think it's sort of, it is, whether you think Haaland's on the same level, do you think Mbappe Haaland are going to kind of have this era of dominance of just two players, or do you think it'll be wider? And within that, not that I'm putting him in that bracket, I was listening to something about Saka and how basically fit, physically fit he is and how he hasn't had injuries yet. And I feel like the only youngster who comes maybe into that messy bracket in terms of not being built on that would probably be Foden. But again, I still think he's going to, he relies a little bit on his physical. I think he's going to, I think his next step is to almost bulk up and become... Foden's a bit. very, very good shout. He's, yeah. very, like, he's not similar to Messi, but technically he's one of the best youngsters. I think that like he plays more like Messi to me than most youngsters out there, most young talent. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a, a lot of what it will depend on is their own sort of path. If you look at the way Messi and Ronaldo have done, they've they've both gone the different routes of dominating in one being in for one team for a consistent period of time, and the other going and playing in a number of different leagues and still maintaining that sort of top top level. So I think where we'll see these players emerge is the ones who stay with their current club and go on to be one of like the greatest players for that club, or the ones that you see drop out and disappear because they struggle to play in a different league or in a, in a different country. One thing I wanted to ask, and this is no disrespect to Lewandowski, but obviously there's been comparisons between Haaland and Lewandowski. Um, do you think he will end up being a better player than him? Because personally, I do. And that is hard to say 
because for me he's the best striker of the 2010s. Um, But I would, I would. He has everything Lewandowski has, plus the pace. Suarez over him? Huh? Would you not put Suarez over Lewandowski? No, Lewandowski. Really? Yeah, he's the only guy who's out of the two. The only one being close to winning the Ballon d'Or. Would you not put Ronaldo over him? Do you see him as a? Do you see Ronaldo as a? Not an out-and-out striker. No, I don't. I don't tend to put... I mean, he played left wing for a large portion. Yeah. That's probably why. Uh, obviously, Ronaldo, if we cast Ronaldo struck, I'd take yeah, Ronaldo. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I just think he has everything, plus the pace. He's got. Yeah. He's such a pacey player for a guy so tall. Mm-hmm. I so just wonder what you think of that. The only thing with me is I'm kind of a, a bit of a sucker for a player who has gone different places and continued to be world-class talent I think you, you look at someone like Lewandowski can't help but want him to have gone and played somewhere else or gone and tried it in even like the Premier League or the the, yeah. the Syria or something like that um, just to kind of obviously you can't take away from these players that they're world-class but I think what separates a lot of players from being just sort of capable and, and have the skill and the ability is their sort of how they can translate that into a, into a different league and can keep that up, um, which I think obviously something you look at someone like Ronaldo, he's he's gone and done that across the world. So I think you have to keep an eye on these players and see sort of what route they're going to take and, and how they they continue their career. But well, so I, think, I think it's like you talk about going to different league. You've got like Havertz, Werner. Obviously, like they're not finished. They they still got time to turn around, but they haven't being able to pass over and that's not just a dig at them so many people haven't and I think with with Haaland I love him I think he's quality but it's not even just the league he's in Dortmund a lot of players have looked brilliant at Dortmund down the years and then they can't call like uh, Bashawai went there and looked incredible and I think with him it's almost like his game is, is so brilliant and it's all about pace and things like that but just the physical nature of if you come to the Prem and you play for a certain team, you're probably not going to have space to run into or like a lot of space to move around. And it's a lot about like technicality. Like you look at the Man City team, it's all about like technicality and small spaces and especially in the attacking third. So I think you're right in saying that going to a different league, especially the Prem gets talked about a lot. It's like Lewandowski thrived at Dortmund. Fair enough, you can go to Bayern, but you just think at least go to Real Madrid. Like at least show you can do it. I think that's one of the things with not at all putting him in that bracket, but Aubameyang, I was worried when we got him. I didn't think he would be able to translate that. I was like, I don't know how this is going to go. And he surprised me with how well he adapted. So I think, yeah, going to a different league, particularly the Prem, can be like, it can almost make a player. Yeah, and I think, um, obviously, yeah. we're, we're no means saying that these players that have gone somewhere else and struggled we're by no means saying that they are not good players and they've lost their talent but a lot of what translates a good player in the modern the modern game is return is your your contributions so I think like you said with players like Havertz and Werner they've not suddenly left their ability behind and, and gone somewhere else and struggled it's purely just a base of if they went back to Germany, you wouldn't be surprised if they suddenly started firing again. So I think it's so many other factors that take into how a player can be considered a, a world sort of world class player at the heights of, of Messi and Ronaldo. 
Um, I think it's just time will tell when we see sort of players transition into that one club player who becomes world-class by just being consistent or that player that can go anywhere they want and, and yeah. do that. So, like you said, I think Aubameyang is a good example. I think he's been sort of one of the, the, the Prem's best players and yeah. he was sort of good at Dortmund, so it's just one example. Yeah, you know, he sort of mentioned Foden as well. I do think with him, as much as I think he could go somewhere else and succeed, like clearly he could, Man City just seemed made for him, especially under Pep. Like we talked about Messi staying there because it was based on him. And you're, maybe, maybe Foden, maybe that could be a move. It would be Barcelona, especially if they did get Pep back. But I do think for him, as much as I think he could go anywhere and be brilliant, Man City seemed built for him and his style right now. So I think it's just. It's crazy because we talk about Mbappe, Haaland. <clears throat> we talk about all these other players. You don't know, like, two years ago, no one knew who Haaland was. In a year's time, we could be talking about some yeah. kid who came through from West Brom, Just got worth. 15 goals, and now he <laughs> plays for whoever. So, yeah. it's it's crazy. And then you still got, like, you got Fatty at Barcelona, you mentioned. I think, isn't it Dortmund have another... Have you heard about the Dortmund striker? Um, 16-year-old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. he scored on his debut and, like... Mm. So they probably think, oh, if we lose Haaland, it'll be awful, but we'll get loads of money. <laughs> and then we've got another one right there anyway. So, I mean, I'm, um, uh, I'm yeah. quite excited about Um Have you seen uh, Dane Scarlett um, for for Spurs? Uh, no. And he's, I have uh, heard about him, but I haven't actually seen him play. Yeah, he's in, he's in our um, Europa squad uh, and he makes the bench for the Prem a couple of times. I think he's yeah. 17, 16, 17. Um, and he's sort of scored in every sort of um, sort of league he's been in. So obviously the he's played in the under 18s, the under 23s, the Premier League. Is that like the Premier League two? I think yeah. they do that now. Um, yeah, he's he's banging in goals. So I think, um, it, like you said, it'd be quite interesting to see sort of uh, for our generation, we grew up with such a rich sort of volume of players. It will be interesting to see who the ones that come through are for the for the next generation. Yeah. And they consider as like the Gerards, the Lampards, the the Roonies that we saw. Um, yeah. So I think growing up, I think that would be sort of the thing that we'll look out for and think, oh, that's sort of yeah. make all these comparisons to players that we thought who were were world class. Max, do you think? Because obviously we t- we've touched on that with um, the Tottenham player, and I always go on about Saka and Smith Rowe, whoever. Who do you think the Liverpool player to come for is? Would you put it as Jones? Hundred percent. I think he's underrated, to be honest, as a <laughs> youngster, just because he doesn't get any mention ever, and it, yeah, he's so good technically on the ball. His dribbling ability is second to none in the league, and I'm not even joking. He's been one of our best players this season. I'd list Salah. Fabinho, Robertson and Curtis as our top four players this season by some distance. Yeah. Um, fantastic first half of the season. He didn't seem to play for around a month for some reason. And notably, that's when we started playing badly. So, yeah. oh, I, love, I love Curtis Jones, honestly. Best yeah. player in a long time to come out. The only problem for yeah. him, I think, is that where we touched on before about... Um, that three of Thiago, Fabinho, Henderson coming back. The issue with him is because with someone like Phil Foden, for example, he can play in the middle, he can play wide, Pep can play him. He's even played him in the, I think he's played him in the false nine. 
with someone like Jones, you look at that Liverpool team and because the current climate of your team at the moment, you can't help but think he's improving and playing because of the, the lack of options. How do you think sort of that's going to develop once he stops getting game time because he naturally will get moved out of the... Do you think it will be kind of cup games that he'll get sort of playing time? Or... The thing is, you say that, but he's played in some of our biggest games this season over different players. I know we had... Fabinho and Henderson sometimes out, so obviously that would have filled in the position. But he played against Spurs, was one of our probably our best player on the pitch that night in the, in the first game. Yeah. Um, did he play in the against you at yours? I can't remember. I don't think he did actually. Not sure. He played in virtually all of our Champions League matches, all big matches. Um, yeah, um, he's played in. He tends. Klopp seems to tr- trust him in the big game. Yeah, the the trust is there, isn't it? So yeah. I'm t- to be honest, I, I want to put this to you two, like. I'm not surprised that his name hasn't been in the conversation just because the midfield depth is so deep in the England squad. But I just do you think it's slightly surprising there's been no mention whatsoever of his name? Is this for Kurt, just, just in general as like future sort of no for the Euros or for the Euros? Um, I mean, I think it's the depth that doesn't matter. Probably, yeah, I mean, for the first time in a while, we can look at that England sort of list and think actually got options we're not relying on sort of one um sort of main lineup um but i think if you compare him to to the likes of like rice um you look at people like james madison perhaps not getting a not getting a spot because he's in such competition with other other players um i think he he'll be in the mix purely because he's he's playing and he's playing for a top flight team and getting sort of consistent games but whether or not I can confidently see Southgate pick, picking him straight away um, I think maybe from a Liverpool perspective you might sort of think higher of him um, but for me personally I don't think he has sort of the edge over some of the the other players in, in the squad um, but whether or not that's based on us needing some experience in there and based on players who are returning goals and assists, which is what sort of we're after. But saying that, I wouldn't be surprised if in a few years' time he does sort of become a Declan Rice figure and someone who we do kind of rely on um, to to be the, the core of the team. So. I mean, yeah, I, I think, let alone him, I think there's going to be a lot of young players in this England team and it's going to be such an inexperienced team on the whole that I think you're going to need a couple of older figures in there and I think I think one thing a lot of people will kind of forget is and people have criticised Pep for this you don't have to rush these young players like so many young players get rushed and then don't and I almost think you could you could see it that certain players who do go to the Euros this year maybe it is too soon and Curtis Jones if he doesn't he stays at home and then he goes to the next four tournaments like you don't know and just in terms of his general stock I think I think he's Harsh, hardly done by the fact that he's in the Champions team and I know you're not playing like the Champions this season because of a lot of reasons I think you get a lot of people going like oh he's just he plays for Liverpool so it's like easy to be good and clearly that isn't true and I think he's a great player but you also look at that and say you've got players like Saka who is literally Arsenal's best player he's the focus of it like you said with Bruno Fernandes about the system and I just think <clears throat> He is a brilliant cog in that team, but everyone else sees him as a cog in the team. 
even though I don't necessarily think that's true. I think Klopp has said it. Like you said, he's got the trust of Klopp. And if you've got the trust of Klopp, that should be enough for anyone else. But I think um, uh, I think it was Alex Scott who was sort of talking about it. Um, and she was saying that she reckons that a lot of what some of the picks will be, will be based on is sort of di- like diversity and ability to kind of play multiple positions. Like you look at people like Saka, Foden... Uh, maybe rice. rice yeah we'll we'll take players who are able to sort of change where they play and sort of cover a lot of different positions because we're gonna no doubt sort of try and rotate certain players and tr- find a system that works um so i think that might be sort of a key factor you look at curtis jones and can't suggest that you'd see him playing anywhere other than centrally um, compared to someone like Foden, Saka, who can who can play a number of of different positions. So, don't get me wrong. Like like you you say, he's he's a he's a quality player, but maybe missing that sort of slight sort of edge um, that puts other players ahead of him. This, uh, we've gone off on a bit of a tangent, to be honest. But, <laughs> but we get back on topic. We'll do our. Predictions for tonight's games and tomorrow night's games in the Champions League. So the first one, um, I think the big one this week is Atletico and Chelsea. Um, Atletico have lost two straight, I think, in the Liga now. They lost to Levante at the weekend, 2-0. Um, I had them down as Champions League winners um, this year, which was a bit of an, I mean, it was a bit of an out there pick. But, I mean, their form recently has, has dipped a little bit. What, what do you two make of that tie and how do you see it going? How, how do you see the first leg going anyway? It's at, it's at the Wanda Volcano, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, I, I'm i going to go draw. Um, I think, uh, obviously, obviously we're on, uh, on decent, decent enough form. Uh, I think a lot of it will be dependent on um, Tuchel's team selection. I think he's still kind of trying to establish his sort of key key setup. Um whether or not uh, do you see the incident with um Hudson Adoy? Uh yeah. I, yeah. I was sort of quite surprised that actually because I've I've sort of rate Hudson Adoy. Um I think he's he's quite quite a talented player and I think he's quite good but for him to be subbed twice and then criticized after the game I think was sort of quite a Quite a bold move, um, and I would have liked to have seen him get more game time for, for Chelsea. Um, but other than that, I think sort of they're they're still trying to find uh, sort of their, their main starting setup. So I'm I'm gonna go for for a draw on that one based on uh, Atletico form and uh, Chelsea's sort of run of decent results. I think um, I think Chelsea could actually help as well because we mentioned. Um with Kabak about playing back in Germany and kind of being used to that. I think there's a lot of players that, and obviously Werner and Havertz haven't played against, uh, played in Spain. I don't know if they played against Atletico, but I think European football just suits certain players, like we mentioned with the Prem. I think, like, I know it's the Europa League, so it's generally a bit easier, but Pepe always looks brilliant in the Europa League and then can't quite translate it. So I think players like Werner could come good in this competition. Like This could be where he thrives. I'm not sure how he did in the group stage, but I think he did better than he's done in the Prem. And um, also, I think Chelsea have just got, they've got winners in there, like Azpilicueta, 
Um, I'm not sure if he's actually won him here, but Mason Mount definitely has that attitude where he just like gets it done. I mean, they got Thiago Silva, so I think Chelsea could be a dangerous team in this competition. They could be like even when they won it in 2012, they didn't really kind of no one saw that coming. No one saw them as on paper the best team. So I think Chelsea could be a threat, and I think I'm leaning towards maybe a draw. I think I'm going to go Atletico will win, but I think it's going to be by one. I think. I'm going to go Atletico 2-1. I think Chelsea are going to get an away goal, play pretty well, but Atletico will get it done in this leg. But I wouldn't be surprised if Chelsea go through overall. I think I'm in a similar boat to you. I think if you'd asked me last week, I would have said comfortably Atletico would win. But obviously, Chelsea have had that new manager boost um, and Atletico have had a little dip in form. Yeah, I'm similar to, to both of you in that. I don't see it being a runaway thing for either team. I think either it's going to be a 2-1 victory to Atletico or a 1-1 draw. And I'm going to go with the draw. I think it'd be 1-1. What was the, what's the other game tonight? Bayern uh, Lazio. Lazio, Bayern. Lazio at home. Okay. I mean, I don't, I don't really know enough about them, but I know that Bayern haven't been quite on it this season. Um, I think they've lost, they've lost quite a few in the last couple of weeks as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, um, yeah. I think Lazio are like sixth at the moment. I think um, so. They're, they're they're doing all right, but I mean, you, we spoke earlier about the likes of people like Lewandowski, um, just the experience that they they have in that competition. Um, whether or not they're playing well at the moment, I think a lot of those players won't be won't be phased by that. Um, so I think we'll probably see a, a comfortable comfortable away win. Um, yeah, I'm going to say three-one to Bayern. I think I think it'll be pretty comfortable. I think Lazio will get a goal, but Bayern's just too good. Yes, I think I'll just I'm just going to go Bayern win, probably like two-nil. I'm not really sure. I just don't know about it, but I think Bayern will get it done. Yeah, I think um, Mobile will get a, get a goal, but that'll be it. Yeah, that's all I see really for Lazio. Um, and then tomorrow we've got uh, At- Atalanta and Real. And this is an interesting one because Real have got a massive injury crisis at the moment. They've got no one fit. Like Benzema's injured even. And he's always, I swear, mm-hmm. I swear that guy always plays for them in the Champions League. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, I'm not sure how Atalanta are doing. They're, no, I mean, they're as good this year, but they they're just, just above Lazio at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Their attacking football is just incredible. They've it's lost so Gomez cool. as well, but. I mean, yeah. yeah, that was a weird transfer. I didn't see that coming at all. That mm. was such a surprise. Yeah, yeah, I think he fell out with the manager. Yeah, I, I for me, I think I, I think Atlanta are going to take it because even with all this this injury crisis, I just think Real Madrid. There's something about them. Uh, the last couple of years, I know there's a lot of issues with Zidane as manager. That's part of the reason that Odegaard was allowed to leave because of a bit of a falling out. And I just think even without Gomez, I know they're still doing decent in Syria. And I think Ilicic is back and like fully firing again. So I'm I'm gonna go for a I think <laughs> annoyingly like Robert would always do, they're gonna sneak through. So mm-hmm. I think they're gonna get an away goal, but I think Atalanta are gonna win two one uh, at home and uh, tomorrow night. Yeah, I mean I'm the same. I think uh, Madrid, I think they only just won on the weekend. I think they won one nil. Um and so like you said, they're not not in the best of form and with injuries and stuff like that. I think uh, yeah, I'm gonna go Atalanta. Uh, I think they'll get a, get a win as well. I'm gonna go two 0 I think that'd be nice. Two 0 to Atalanta. Yeah, I think so. I think just in terms of that that home uh, home fixture, 
like you said, I wouldn't see. I wouldn't be surprised if if Madrid take uh, take the the their home fixture. Um, but yeah, I think I, I like At- Atalanta, and I think I like the way that that they play uh, play attacking football. So I'm. Gonna I go. guess Rini is an excellent coach. He's very underrated. I think as well a lot of what my thought process is is you look at the the pre like the previous games that we've seen. We're seeing a lot of sort of unexpected and sort of uncertain results here. Um, so I think in another another season of Madrid, we'll be looking at that and thinking, yeah, obviously Madrid are going to be going into that favourites. But I think at the moment we're going to see sort of upsets like we've already seen. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go Atalanta on this one. I'm very torn on this one. I'm not going to lie. I, I was initially going towards 1-1. Um, I just like you've, you've convinced me with that. Answer, to be honest. <laughs> um, listen to me, they might get battered. <laughs> I just think they're missing defenders. And Madrid, it's always their defensive issues that let them down. They're missing, they're missing Militao and Ramos. And Varane by himself at Real notoriously struggled. Yeah. So I'm going to go the same as you. I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'm going to say an Atalanta win. I'll go 2 1. Nice one. Guaranteed, now that we said it, nothing. <laughs> Ramos will just suddenly return from injury and they'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, if we want the last one then, so McGlad back at home against City. Um, I think a lot of people will be inclined to say City will win. I think I am. But I think McGlad back are a big threat. They've played Man City a lot in the Champions League recently um, and they had a decent group stage. I do. If you've seen their managers going to Dortmund at the end of the season, I think there's been quite a bit of fallout from that and a bit of like yeah, between the two. So I, I think if that hadn't been announced and it was kind of everyone going in the same direction fully at McGladbach and everything was happy, I think they could do something here. But I think Man City are just going to be ruthless and I think they're going to win 2 now. Yeah, but I think they're just sort of, especially at the moment now, it's looking like De Bruyne's back. Um, yeah, like you said, we got people like Foden and Gundogan firing. Um, can't see anything else here other than a, a comfortable City win. If you'd asked me three months ago when the group stage ended, I really thought Gladbach were a threat to see. Yeah, but they've they've gone off a little bit. They're eighth in the Bundesliga at the moment. They've they won in their last four in the league. Um, I don't. I'm not sure why that is really. But their front line is quite good and they're very, very physical, um, which might help in their cause because obviously City are, City are a physical team, but the way you beat phys- uh, technically good teams is by, a, by being a bit physical with them. Um, it, it's a tough one, really. Um, I'm like this with every, every pick now. <laughs> I'm going to go... Two one to City, and we'll leave it there. I won't think about it anymore. <laughs> should we um? Should we wrap up there? Because I feel like we can just the Europa League. I feel like most of them are pretty set, and we can just talk yeah. about when they're done next week. Um, we'll leave it there for now. Thank you for Harrison for coming on. He's been an excellent guest, um, as we expected. Uh, check us out on YouTube. Check us out on Spotify. Make sure to follow our follow our Twitter page. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. All that malarkey. Um, Yeah, and we'll see you next week.